Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the college director, or teaching director here at Anderson, and blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, we've met each other by this point. All right, but um, I went to a and I attended Texas A&M University. I was class of 2010, my wife, uh, and we uh, had a great old time over there in Aggieland, or right here in Aggieland. Uh, I, my freshman year, I lived in Dunn, uh, the down on Southside in the Commons, Dirty Dunn. I've mentioned this before because it's such an amazing place, instrumental in my life. Uh, and so in Dunn, um, the first day that my roommate, Ben, and I walked in, we realized, oh my gosh, we're living in the equivalent of an insane asylum, right? Because just everything cinder blocks and like sad, right? Like there's no like room for creativity or there's no, ru- there's nothing soft, right? There's nothing. There's just cinder blocks and sadness. And so we thought, okay, what, what can we do with this space? Right? How can we be creative? How can we make this a memorable dorm experience? And so we gathered all of our materials and we realized what we had to work with was this really old furniture that was used to being done it's from like the 70s. It was this modular furniture. I mean, you could stack it and stuff. And so we had uh, two shelves, two block shelves, and then two block uh, drawer things. And so we took these things. We knew that people sometimes put their beds on top of them, or they like put them in their area or divided the room. And we thought, okay, what, what can we do that hasn't been done before? What is the uncharted territory in terms of using this space? And so what we did is we took our furniture and we created what we called the tower uh, because it was literally a tower in the middle of our room. Uh, from the floor to the ceiling, we just stacked all of our furniture. Uh, and it violated basically every fire code that our RA would occasionally remind us of and then kind of nod and kind of walk out of the room and we would just then leave it and die in a fire, I guess, if it had happened. Uh, but... We had this tower, right? And it was amazing, right? We loved it. We would like stick stuff up on it and people would be like, what's going on in there? We'd be like, well, let me tell you, right? We'd have this grand story about our tower in the middle of our room. It was a, a landmark, really, of all of Texas A&M. Sol Ross and then the tower, okay? Uh, but we had this kind of going on in our room and it was great for our whole freshman year, but eventually freshman year ends and eventually we decided to move off of campus. Our sophomore year, we moved into a house with some other guys. And so we left the tower and we kind of forgot about the tower. Didn't really think about it. It was just one of those, ugh. Silly old freshman Jacob and Ben stories. Until three years later, our senior year, we were going to one of our friend's little brother's dorm room, which happened to be in Dunn. And so we decided to go look at it because we're like, oh my gosh, Dunn recently got renovated. There's girls living there now. Like, what's going on? And so we had to go take a look. Went inside, discovered, yeah, everything looks kind of the same, still center blocks, but the furniture was newer, right? But what we noticed about it was that the furniture was still modular, like it was still made where you could, you know, build things. So that kind of got us talking. We were like, oh man, that's so crazy. It was modular back in my day, you know, three years ago. Well, we had, you know, this kind of furniture and we were talking. And at that point, the younger brother, he kind of got this wild look in his eyes and he kind of turned to us and he was excited because he had this new information to share with us. And he said, hey, funny you should mention that. Our, my RA told me when I was first moving in that like sometime back in the past, there were these guys that lived in Dunn and they created this insane tower in the middle of the room using their furniture. And now no one can do that. Like it's a policy. Like no one's allowed to do that now. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever become an urban legend, but I can promise you that it is pretty much the pinnacle of your life. Second, so you know, like your wedding day and then probably having a kid. I don't know. But <laughs> urban legend status, pretty.
pretty amazing. And we were so excited, right? Like in the moment, we were like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Right? And we told them the whole story and we just like running around campus just telling everyone, right? Because we were so excited about this fact because we were just, we're just pumped and right. And we hear those things. We're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. Like we were drawn to that and we were so excited about it. We just, there's something inside of us that loves that, right? There's something inside of us that desperately wants some sort of legacy. There's something inside all of us where we want to create something that lasts beyond us, right? That lasts maybe years and years into the future. We want something more to come from our life that other people see. We want something great and meaningful to come out of our lives. You see, all semester we're talking about culture. We're talking about kind of what what culture is. We're talking about how we react to culture with God's grace, with God's Bible, and with his church. We talk about kind of how we're supposed to interact with culture. And last week, what we really hit was how we're called to create culture. And we talked about the why and the what. We said, well, we all have this drive to create. Why? Because we're made in the image of a creator. We're made in the image of God. And so having that within us, having that, those attributes and sharing some of that behavior with him, we want to create something. And what do we create? We create material and meaning. Right? We create things and then we give them a purpose. And all of us, I mean, we have that drive. And it often manifests itself in the sense that we want to create something and give it meaning and have it last. Right? We want that. There's something inside of us that wants that. If I was going to ask, hey, you want a meaningful life or a meaningless one? No one's like, mm, that's pretty tough. Right? Like, no one's going to ah, meaningless. Right? Like, no one does that. Everyone wants a meaningful life, a meaningful existence. They want to create something that goes beyond themselves. And this morning, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea, not just the why do we create, not just the what do we create, but we're talking about how. How do we create? How do we create culture? How do we create something meaningful that lasts beyond us? Because we all want it so bad. We want it so bad, but we just don't know how to do it. And we see this all throughout history. You look back throughout the ages and you see consistently people being confused. And how do I create something meaningful? That's what we just read in uh, Genesis 11. When we look at the Tower of Babel, we see these people who are driven to create something meaningful. But yet the way that they go about it is wrong. They're how they decide, you know what? We're going to create something meaningful. We're going to create culture out of pride. That's why... Verse 4 said, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Right? This idea of making a name for yourself. This is pride, right? This is selfish ambition. And that's what they were creating out of it. They said, We want to make a name for ourselves. And the truth is that many of us, maybe all of us, have been in that moment where we think to ourselves, I need to make a name for myself. Right? There needs to be something about me. Because gosh darn it, I'm special. That's what my parents and Barney said for years. We're like, this, this is true. I know it is. I'm special. And there needs to be something. There needs to be a name for myself. When I was a junior in college, uh, there was this big scandal with Alex Rodriguez, who was a baseball player. And people were like, oh my gosh, I think he's doping. Oh no, right? And so everyone just like freaks out. And there's these interviews and he's going on ESPN and people are interviewing him. He's like, yeah, I used to take these things or whatever. And so he had these weird interviews where he was kind of like out of it and people were like, A-Rod's kind of oh, too many steroids or something. Like they were a little worried about him. He used terms like loosey-goosey, which was like really, really strange. Uh, but he created this really weird interview that was up and went viral. Everyone was like, oh, this is so crazy. So one of my friends, a guy named Robert, 
pictured here with his beautiful daughter. Uh, Robert, he decided, you know what? This is some low-hanging fruit. I'm going to take advantage of this moment, and I'm going to create a parody video of the Alex Rodriguez interview. And so he and his friend Tim, uh, they got a video camera, and Robert, uh, who is very much not Dominican, in case you can't tell, uh, pretended to be this Dominican baseball player, A-Rod. And so he sat there, and he would kind of say things, and his roommate who was filming would just, like, giggle the whole time. Uh, And so it was, like, pretty rough, but the lighting was, like, horrendous. And so through it, though, you know, they kind of made this video. They were really proud of it, put it up on YouTube. They're, like, you know, called it, like, the official A-Rod parody video, you know, or something. I looked it up last night. It has 440 views, right? That's that's pretty good, right? Okay, it's been up there for about four years. We're averaging about 110 a year. It's not bad. Not bad, all right? But about that same week, Right around that exact same time, I had another buddy, a guy named Cody, uh, and he was with all of his roommates, and they thought, you know, we should, we should throw some basketballs at the like, hoops and lose like some trick shots, right? At which point, a lot of you might have thought, oh, you know, like, like those dude perfect dudes, right, who are very ominous, apparently, right? They're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, the trick basketball shots done, you know, been there, done that, so dude perfect does. Uh, well, the thing is, is that none of us thought that because they became dude perfect. Uh, my buddy Cody is the one on the far right there. And basically, they shot this video, in case you don't know what dude perfect is, but they shot these basketballs, they did these like trick shots, threw it over their house and like off of trucks or I don't know, weird stuff. And it just exploded, right? And they got like millions and millions of views. And they, they continued to do this for years until they're now like their full-time occupation is just making videos, which like bo- blows my mind, right? And I looked up last night, they have 153 million, million views on their channel. 153 million views. They have a book, they have like an iPhone app, they have like all, just cr- I know, it's insane. This is a poster that you can buy, uh, well, well. But, you know, you can get these things and you can build for yourself. Ah, yes, my dude perfect dream, right? Because they had this video that just exploded and all these people watched it. And the truth is that if I asked you, hey, which one of those videos do you wish you had created, right? Like, if you're thinking between the A-Rod parody video or the dude perfect basketball shots, eh, dude perfect's always going to win, right? Like, the basketball is always going to win because we have something inside of us. That we see a story like that, we hear a successful story, and we think, yes, like that's, that's it. Like that's what I want. That's why every minute, this is crazy, every minute on YouTube, okay, for every 60 seconds that goes by, there are 100 hours uploaded. New, brand new video, 100 hours every minute of people trying to make a name for themselves, right? I realize some of those videos are just like cats licking their pause or I don't know like there's weird stuff too but for the most part right a lot of those videos a lot of those hours are people deciding I want a name for myself I want to go out there I want to be something right I want to get interviewed on the today show and be called viral you know like I want to be this I want to have this name for myself there's something within us that drives us that we want to be ooh famous right we want that celebrity status for whatever reason and so we create things out of that and I would ask you I mean why how are you creating things in your life? How, why are you joining that organization? Right? Why do you want that GPA? Do you want to make those grades so that you can feel good and, and decide that, yes, like I, I've conquered school and I can do these things? Right? Are you in that organization because you want, yes, people to know me and they should hear my plans and they should hear my ideas? 
right? Are you trying to find a relationship with that guy or with that girl because you think, well, yeah, I mean, I deserve a relationship, right? Like, I need my buddies to see that I'm not, not destined to be a forest-dwelling monk for the rest of my life, right? Like, I want, I want to have this relationship to show people that, yes, I am attractive, right? Like, I don't know. Like, what, what is it? Why are you doing those things, right? How are you creating? Because a lot of times it's out of pride. A lot of times it's for this reason. It's for the reason that you want to create a name for yourself. But maybe that's not you, right? Maybe you kind of hear that and you're like, ah, nah, like, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't, I don't really worry about things. I don't think about that. And that's great. And some of us are actually able to kind of hop over that trap. But unfortunately, when we do, we often just fall right into another one. As soon as we avoid that pride, we suddenly find ourselves creating out of the need for protection. Because we want to protect ourselves. We want to guard ourselves. That's what we see in Babel. They said, let's build ourselves a city, a tower with the top of the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves and, or lest, we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. We mock Babel. We're like, oh yeah, those chumps, like building towers. Pfft, come on, rookies, right? And we, we think that, oh, that's silly. But we do this. Maybe we're not trying to make a name for ourselves, but goodness, maybe we're trying to protect ourselves. Right? Maybe not it's pride. Maybe it's, maybe it's protection. Maybe I think, well, I don't, I don't want to be scattered, right? I, make, I need to have these things that I gather to myself so that I can feel safe and secure, confident. I want to have these different things. I want to create out of that need for protection. I pick on Hunger Games a lot, but I love it. I really do. I promise. So don't come up and like write me an email like, Katniss is a hero. Like I love, I'm all, I'm as excited about the next Hunger Games movie as the next guy who loves murder for sport, okay? Like that's, that's cool, whatever. But, the thing about the Hunger Games, one of the things that I love about it uh, is that in the first movie, there's this really tense moment. There's a scene, I would say maybe the most tense moment, where all of the people, all the kids are like dropped into the arena, and they have like a few moments before the games start, right? And so they're all standing on these little pedestal things, and they're looking out, and they see all these supplies, right? There's like bows and guns and knives and, I don't know, ponchos or whatever. And so it's all like scattered out in front of them. And they're all waiting for kind of like the whistle. And as soon as the whistle blows, it's so intense because it's this mad like scramble dash to like try to get whatever you need, right, in order to survive. And all these people, all these kids, they just rush into the middle and they're like looking around. They're trying to grab things. They're getting, you know, I need like this rope and I need to get this hammock in case I need to go to sleep. Or like I need like this medicine in case I get cut. And I need, you know, those biscuits, right? And then like you try to get the biscuits, but then someone else goes for it. And so you just kill them. You're like, my biscuits, right? And you grab them and then you run off. And it's this really intense moment where you're watching them. You're like, oh my gosh, because they're fighting to survive, right? They're fighting to gather all these things to themselves. And what's sad is that oftentimes that's our approach to life. A lot of times we run out and we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, like I need that GPA. Oh, I need that GPA. Because if I don't get that GPA, then I'm not going to get that job that I want. I'm not going to get that internship that I desperately need. So I've got to make these grades and gather these things to myself. I've got to create this environment. Or, oh my goodness, I've got to get into that organization. I've got to. Because if I don't, then I don't know if I'm going to make friends. And if I don't have friends, then my mom is going to make fun of me because she's mean, right? I don't know. But like there's, there are bad things coming in my life. If I don't get these things, I need to gather it to myself. I need that relationship because I don't want to be alone. Because I need to have someone by my side. I need to have someone affirming me. 
And we look out at our world and we see these things and we're just running around and we're scrambling. And someone else tries to date that girl and you're like, my girl! And you grab her and you run away. Like you try to get into these crazy tense moments where you're seeking to protect yourself. And as you're grabbing these things and you're drawing them to yourself, you're creating out of a need for protection, which is exactly what Babel did. And I point these things out, and we need to be aware that this is happening because both of these methods, whether you're trying to create out of pride or whether you're trying to create out of protection, man, they both have a huge problem. Huge problem. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All of the things that get set up in verses 3 and 4. All of their grand plans. Right, all these just wonderful like, ideas and all these creations, all that bitumen bricks, which is like a really big deal, and all the stone and all the stuff that they've gathered themselves that's going to protect them, that's going to make a name for themselves. All those things that are built up in verses 3 and 4 are destroyed, systematically destroyed in 5 through 9. Because the truth is that if we are creating out of pride or out of protection, it's always going to fail. It's always going to fail. Because those things, man, they don't, they don't last. And the legacy now from Babel, the legacy, what's carried on for the years, rather than it being like, oh, the mighty Babel people. Like, instead of that being their legacy, their lasting thing, instead what we have forever and ever is miscommunication and confusion, misunderstanding one another. That's the legacy created by Babel. And we see this, right? Like, we see misunderstanding all around us. It is uh, prevalent, very prevalent in our lives. Uh, I have a wife, and her name is Susan, and she is awesome. Uh, She and I started dating our freshman year in college, and we uh, went through a few years of dating before we got engaged, before we got married. That's generally how that works. And so when we were dating, though, we had a lot of room to grow, a lot of room to grow both in our relationship with one another, with our relationship with other people. I recently told uh, Dulos, our awesome freshman Bible study on Wednesday nights, uh, I told them about the fact that when Susan and I were dating, uh, we had this huge miscommunication problem, right? There was just something about our, the ways that we talked to each other, the ways that we handled conflict that just didn't quite, didn't really work, okay? We weren't really meeting. And so whenever we would talk about things, maybe, uh, you know, a tough issue, or maybe Susan had a really tough day, she would come to me, she'd talk to me about, like, oh, you know, like, Rachel said this, and like, Sue, Sue, I don't know, I can't think of girl names. <laughs> Megan said that. <laughs> Susan Jr. said this, I don't know. And they, they said these things, right? And these things happened. And now I'm hurt, right? And she would be like, ah, like I'm, I'm destroyed, I'm distraught. Listen to these things that have happened to me today. And so I would hear that. And being the kind and loving boyfriend at the time, I would then offer her solutions to these problems. 
I would say. <laughs> and all the girls were like, uh, uh. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, Susu, right? And you would say, but I would offer these solutions. I'd say, hey, maybe, maybe you should tell her this, or maybe you should do that, or maybe you should just think da, da, da. And every time I would try to offer the solution to fix her problem, it would just get so much worse. Every time I would say, hey, maybe you should, ah, why would you just listen to me, right? And I'd be like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, like I tried. And so I would try to offer this thing and I would say, no, like I want to help. And she's like, you're not helping. And we would just get into these miscommunication, just explosions, right? Because we just didn't, ah, we didn't understand one another. Uh, we would often be talking, we would have these kind of difficult moments. And one of the things I discovered early into our relationship is that Susan would cry, Okay, that, it happens. Water out of here, apparently, okay? This was a thing. And she would start to cry. And so being the loving, kind boyfriend that I was, I'd be like, hey, why are you crying? <laughs> right? I just wanted to understand. I just wanted to listen. I'm just trying to apply the earlier lesson, right? I'd say, hey, why are you crying? She'd be like, why are you asking? Right? And she would just cry more, right? And it would just like get really, really terrible. And I'd Trying to like wipe away, don't cry, right? And she just eat my hand or whatever. Like it was just anger and frustration, and it would just build over and over and over. And we would hit this no joke so many times until eventually we we just had to like separate. And we were just like not not our relationship, but just physically, we were separated from one another. We would talk to older, wiser people, and we would ask them, "What am I supposed to do?" Right? I would ask, "What am I supposed to do about this wet-faced person?" Like what? There's so many problems, but she doesn't want to fix them. I don't understand, right? And she would go to her mentor. She'd say, I don't understand. Jacob's just stupid. And her mentor would say, yes, that is true, right? And that was, that was kind of the extent of their conversation. But I found in mine some really great wisdom. They said, you know what? Sometimes you just got to sit there and you just got to listen. Sometimes she just wants to be heard. Listen to this, Jacob. Hear me on this, all right? I said, okay. Another great piece of advice that you should just log away for the future. They told me, you know what? Every time she's crying, it's not necessarily, you know, like you, you've not necessarily broken her, right? It's not like you've made her super sad. Sometimes crying, it's just emotional sweat. Just emotional sweat, Jacob. I thought, all right, like I can get behind that, right? Sweat, I do that. Like I, I get it, right? And so in that moment, I was able to take that wisdom. I thought, okay. And then we applied it. And you know what? It helped. It helped our relationship a whole lot to the point where now we're married. Uh, and we still have problems. But that's not one of them, right? Whenever she starts crying, I'm just like, all right. Yeah, you're good. Right? Let's, maybe I'll hug her from a distance, right? But I know, like I've learned how to deal with those situations. But it still pops up occasionally because we still, we misunderstand each other. And every time that that happens, I can now think back and think, thanks, babble, right? Because that's the legacy. We see this miscommunication. We see this misunderstanding throughout all of our lives. And what's sad is that it ruins us. It ruins marriages. It ruins friendships. And it ruins relationships and families. People get divorced. Many of you have parents who are divorced. Why? Because of misunderstanding, because of miscommunication, because of the legacy created by the sin at Babel. So when we think about these things, when we see the effects of creating out of pride and creating out of a need for protection, we should see that and be like, no, that is bad. We look at the miscommunication, the misunderstanding in our world, and we realize that doesn't work. That is not the right solution. 
Because both of them, they basically have the wrong understanding of God. Anytime that you're prideful, anytime you're creating out of pride, you're putting yourself above God. Anytime you're trying to create out of protection, you're putting God's creation above him. You're putting the creation above the creator. And anytime you do either of those things, you're going to fail. It's not going to last. It's not going to be meaningful. That's why the Bible promises us in Proverbs that what the wicked dreads will come upon him. Love that. That you can set out to build that tower and you think it's going to make a name for me. It's going to protect me because I dread being insignificant and because I dread being mortal. And I want something that lasts, that has meaning. And even though I'm dreading those things, I'm doing everything in my power to fight against it, it's going to come upon me. Proverbs said it's going to come upon me. Because in and of ourselves, I mean, we can't create something meaningful. Anytime someone spends a life building an empire for themselves, that life is wasted. You don't hear anything, hear that. A life spent trying to build out of pride and protection for yourself, that is a life that is wasted. Because those towers are going to fall. Or we're going to destroy ourselves trying to keep them up. Because ultimately, all these things end. Eventually, that GPA is not going to matter anymore. Are you going to take that one class that just ruins it? Eventually, that organization that you're in, man, you're not going to be meeting anymore. Three years down the road, no one cares if you're the vice president of whatever. Eventually, that relationship, it might end. Or maybe you're going to enter into it and you're going to realize, wow, this person is flawed. And suddenly, these grand ideas that you had to build yourself up or to protect yourself, it fails. Because... Ultimately, everything ends. Ultimately, we die. And these things that we've created are meaningless. And they fall apart. And in this moment, man, I don't have a perfect solution for you. I don't have some answer. The Bible doesn't tell us how to build stronger towers with better bricks, right? That's not the moral of Babel. We're supposed to realize that in and of ourselves, we can't do this. We can't build something. We can't create something that has meaning, that lasts. But in the midst of our failure, we see verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The focal point of this passage isn't on these chumps that tried to build a tower and failed at it. The focus of this passage is on the Lord who came down. The focus is on the person of God. This God who is and does these things that are so beyond us to the fact where he would come down. The garden, I don't know if you caught this, but the garden of Eden and the tower of Babel, they're basically the bookends of the entire creation narrative. When you're reading through Genesis, that's kind of where creation all happens, right in there. And both of them focus on this idea of mankind failing so miserably, whether it's sinning in the garden by eating that fruit, or whether it's sinning at Babel by not going out and multiplying, by drawing in together, trying to build a tower for themselves. And when we see that failure in both of these bookends, what we see in both occasions is the Lord coming down and saying, I'm going to save you anyway. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to provide a solution. 
when God said that there is nothing impossible, right? When we read that a a few verses ago, when God says there is nothing that can be impossible for these men, he's not scared of them, right? He's not coming down because he's like, whoa, 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 like this, nope, heaven's for me. Like he's not scared of them. He's coming down as an act of grace because when we look throughout history, we realize, no, like when we are together, when we're just given unbridled uh, freedom, man, things turn out horribly. The ultimate judgment that can be given to us is that God would just let us be and do what we want to do. That's why Romans 1 told us that therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We see throughout Scripture that it tells us, look, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you can just do whatever you want. Every time that that happens in our world, things end horribly. Just in the last hundred years, okay, just past hundred years, there have been incredible numbers of genocides, right? Some of them we know about, right? Some of them were like, yeah, like, you know, the Nazis in World War II, right? They killed about 15 million or so of these Jews and people like that. Okay, like civilians just like murdered. Got it, right? We know, we might know about some of those genocides. Maybe you're aware of maybe, you know, China, like, okay, there was some Mao Zedong, right? That guy was really evil. And so maybe there were like 60 million civilians that were killed there. Then we have other things like in Russia, I don't know if you're aware of this, Joseph Stalin, horrible person, murdered about conservatively 35 million civilians in just this mass genocide. We see things like this happening in Japan, Turkey, Cambodia. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people just being slaughtered just because since 1913, okay, just the last hundred years. And we see that because someone rises up to power, they decide, you know what? I'm pretty great. I think people should know who I am. I think that I should be able to do whatever I want. And you know what? I don't want anyone to challenge me. So out of my pride, I'm also going to try to act out of a sense of protection. And so I'm going to just go ahead and kill all the people that might disagree with me. I'm going to go ahead and slaughter these people groups because they might rise up against me one day. When we look in our world and we see people creating out of pride, creating out of protection, it's always horrible. Always. But God came down. But God came down. You've got to realize that in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our tendency to try to create out of these wrong things, the Lord came down. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that I deserved, who then rose again, like Ross was singing, conquered death, conquered the grave. So that if I just put my faith in him, then I am made a new creation. Paul tells us that we are new creations when we put our faith in Christ. That God comes down and he mends us and he gives us righteousness and he says, go out and create, not out of pride, not out of protection, create out of my person. Create out of what I am and what I've done. That's what you should create out of. That's the solution that we've been given to this horrible problem, this horrible failure. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, hear me, you are a new creation. You have a righteousness that is not your own, that has just been given to you. And if you've received that grace, you should be asking yourself, how do I create out of that? 
So then how do I create out of God's person? How do I avoid this pride and this protection that often causes us to stumble? I'm just going to give you two things as we wrap up. Two little pieces. If you really want to avoid creating out of this pride or creating out of this protection, I would just recommend you just swing the absolute opposite way, okay? What I mean by that is you should be creating first. If you want to avoid creating out of pride, try to just create out of humility, okay? That's the opposite of pride. When I say that, I mean you need to look for a way to just push pride out of your mind. The best way to do that is through prayer, honestly. A mind filled with prayer has no room for pride, I promise you. If you're spending your time seeking God, just talking to God, as you're walking through campus, talking to God, if you're riding on that bus, talking to the Lord, as you're sitting at Mugwalls, distracted from your studying because there's someone loud yelling about, I don't know, books, then just, if you have that prayer, you're not going to get prideful. That's why every single time that I speak, I built this habit, built this discipline a long time ago because I decided at some point God threw a series of circumstances broke me down and said, you do not need to be prideful ever, ever, ever. So every single time that I speak, every single time I'm on any sort of stage, I pray, God, keep me humble. God, destroy me. God, wipe me out. I draw from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians one twenty one, where he says, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul goes on to say, who among you is wise? Who among you is, is great? None of you. God didn't choose you because you're great. God chose you because you're weak. That's my prayer every single time that I speak because I don't want there to be any room for pride. So let me ask you, where are you creating? Where can you create off humility? Where can you be praying to God to keep you humble. And as you're doing that, ask yourself, okay, then if I'm avoiding pride, how do I avoid this you know, need for protection? How do I avoid that? How do I not create out of that mistake? I would say you just create out of faith. Meaning you look for somewhere that you just can offer up your resources with an open hand, whether it's your time or your money, your availability, whatever. You hold those things in an open hand. That's how you trust God with what you've been given. And if you want to go even more extreme, you look for an area to create where there is no foreseeable benefit. This is one of the best things you can ever do for yourself. To train yourself. I started out in junior high ministry. Lord Almighty. If you have not worked with junior high students, you have lived a blessed life. Okay, like this is a rough, it is a rough crowd, right? They, 12 to 13 year olds, are just, the boys in particular are just, they're just insane. Okay, I don't know if you remember that, but you were insane for a few years back then. Maybe still are, I don't know. But that realm, oh my goodness, was so tough. And that was the first area of ministry that I really stepped into where I was given leadership roles and all these responsibilities. And I walked and I thought, this is going to be great, right? Like, here we go, like, Jacob show, here we go. You know, I'm going to like give these servants. I'm going to like run these games. I'm going to have all these awesome things, these programs and these structures that I've thought of. It's going to be so great. And I held it all out and I said, here, students, let's do all that. And they just punched me in the gut. And I'm like, no, I'm like stupid, right? And that was basically three years of my life, okay, where I would just create and think, yes, like this is going to be, no, and just destroyed me over and over and over again, literally hitting me, okay? That's what junior high ministry is. You should do it, though, right? Because 
because through that experience, man, God shaped me and molded me in ways that I never would have imagined. Because I was in a realm where there was no one was going to thank me for anything. No one was going to care that I was up there setting up chairs and setting up sound equipment on Saturday nights. No one cared that I would try to you know, create these games or these skits or these ways to announce things, announce things or have overnight lock-ins. No junior high kid's going to walk and be like, Jacob, thank you for sacrificing for the Lord. Thank you for, no one does that. No junior high kid does that. They do, you should be suspicious because there's something else going on. That doesn't happen. But you know what? Through that, through that experience, God molded me and shaped me in ways that I never would have imagined. God uses that. If you're willing to step out in faith, if you're willing to create without there being any obvious way that you can benefit, there's absolutely no way that you're protecting or bringing anything to yourself through that creation. God will bless that. God will use that. That's why every year we push, push, push our leaders to either help in youth ministry or help in the children's ministry across the street. They're desperate for people always in children's ministry. And we encourage our, our college students every year, please go serve. Not just because we need someone over there to like be a body, but because we know you will benefit so greatly from it. That despite the fact you look at that and you're like, ah, changing a diaper is not going to bring me closer to God. Right? Like that's going to just remind me of sin. Like that's, there's nothing good that's going to come from that. But in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that ministry where there is no foreseeable benefit, I promise you, God uses it. He will shape you in some way. He can turn your heart towards him. So as we begin to just worship a little bit more, as we sing a few more songs, as we enter into this time to just think and reflect and respond to what God's been telling us, I want to just encourage you, pray to him and ask him, where can you be creating out of humility? Where can you be creating out of faith? Where does your hand need to be opened? Where can you give your time? Where can you give your money? Where can you give your resources? Because oftentimes we fall into that trap where we think, I'm going to make these things for my name. I'm going to make these things so that I'll be protected and guarded. So I'll have exactly what I want forever. But those things fail. Those towers will fall. So think about that. Let's pray. Lord, we... We know that you are greater than all of our failure. God, we know that you are greater than all of the mistakes that we have already made, that the mistakes that we were going to make. God, we thank you that despite all the things that we have done a year ago or last week or maybe last night, God, despite those failures, God, despite those mistakes, you are good and gracious and faithful, that you're willing to pick us up, that God, you came down So Lord, show us where we can create. God, show us how do we create in faith, in humility. If you would take this moment right now, just ask the Lord to not only reveal to you where you are caught up in pride, not only where you're caught up trying to guard yourself, but ask him to show you new ways, new areas to create out of that humility, out of that faith. You are that tower. You are that place of 
goodness and satisfaction that we're longing for and trying to find and clamor for and cling to and just grab onto and yet and yet you just come so so quietly and so gently and tenderly and and offer us a place of rest lord help us to say yes to that today in jesus name amen